And there is the familiar music that tells us it is once again time to welcome Howard Parkin into the studio for the final look at the Manx Sky for 2019, the December Manx Sky at night. Faster my good evening, Howard Parkin. Um, Faster my Judith. It's great to be here again. Well, another year hurtles by and we have got uh, we've got lots to perhaps reflect on as well as to look to the future, as we always do. And I think the first thing I know it's not exactly a current news story now. We've been talking about this before Christmas, but the wonderful success with Cronkyberry School. Now, you brought that story to us when it was fresh about the the naming of this, uh, the, the exoplanet. You brought that story to us when we didn't know what the outcome was going to be there were winners and um, wasn't that a wonderful moment oh, it for the was island absolutely wonderful and i must stress it had nothing to do with me which was even better because although i learned about it i learned they'd been shortlisted into the last 10 uh, and i thought well this needs publicity and the school were pleased to do some publicity so i just put it on my own facebook page and everything else told manx radio i know they went up there and gave an interview with the children and to get to the last 10 of a thousand entries was a major achievement but you know and I think I said this to you last month I said to you of all the 10 names that were chosen by the various entrants there was 10 uh, final entries the the, the last 10 and two stood out to me there was Scroggy Berries and there was also a Cornish school had named them um, using Cornish Gaelic and I thought those two are by far the best. I completely agree with you because of course I went online to vote as yeah. soon as you told us about well, it. So many people did by all account. And well they, they did because we got the we got the right result. It was fantastic. And, but you were absolutely right there were lots of entries but there were a lot of predictable choices. They were. Well, Ben Nevis was one. Uh, I think they called it Ben Nevis and Snowden, I think, for the two highest peaks in the British Isles. And I thought, come on, another one named after two dark sky sites. We could have done that. But to actually think about it and use your own culture, which is the Manx language, and actually come up with these two names, and then to win it, I was so pleased when I heard it. Well, delighted. And what I think that struck me particularly, and I would just like to say this again, to pay tribute to the teachers, because Absolutely they right. will have helped the children to think about this, to oh, work yeah. it out. So a, a Big, big cheer. Big, thank you. Absolutely. I think it's all Cronky Berry's doing. I mean, they did it, the teachers did it, the kids did it. And to come up with two such wonderful names, Glow Asmus Shining and Crinlac, meaning Orbits, um, the star, it was just absolutely brilliant. And, you know, what ha- people haven't realised, and I mentioned this on the radio the other day when I did a news story, is the International Astronomical Union have got some clout. They are the people who demoted Pluto from planetary status. They are a major force in the world of world astronomy. And they, they actually launched this competition. And there were 93 different countries. There were 93 stars that wanted naming. So each country, and there's a list of them on the website, was given the opportunity to name a specific star. And that star now will be permanently known, just like I talk about Sirius and Rigel and Antares and all these stars. Gloas now is a star, a Manx name for a star which will live permanently now in the astronomical uh, annals and everything else. And that is a wonderful achievement. Just, it, just very quickly, Howard, just remind us, what is an exoplanet? An exoplanet is a planet going round another star. We, up until literally about mid-90s, it was 1993 when they discovered the first planets going round other stars, it, it's a subject in its own right, but we used to believe the only star with planets was our sun. But we've now realised that planetary formation is in fact uh, 
very, very common throughout the universe. And we believe now that planetary formation is a, is a basic a fact that happens when a star forms, planets form around that star. So that change from being the only star with planets to now being one of many uh, planets around lots of stars and the term exoplanet to answer your question is exactly that it's it's a planet going around another star Howard since the last time you were in the studio here with us you've been away you've been working but for you working involves cruising because you go on cruises so that people can have the best experience of stargazing when they're on board but there's been something a little bit special on this last cruise. Yes, it was. I mean, I've done lots of cruises now, but this particular cruise, what happens is I'm invited to be in what they call an enrichment speaker. They have a number of enrichment speakers on board, of which astronomy is just one of them. And this particular cruise was from New York to the Caribbean and back. But I was a bit worried about the weather and the hurricane season and everything else. But you know, the weather was absolutely perfect. And not only was the weather perfect, but every night was crystal clear as well. So we had some wonderful night stargazing on deck. And on this particular ship, the Queen Mary it was, um, between the the funnel and the bridge there's a big hidden area i think it's the heliport i think it's where helicopters can possibly used to land on it so you're completely shaded from all the lights there's no lights and we're stood on the deck of the ship it was crystal clear it was a lovely warm evening and of course the major stars which we'll talk about in a minute the major stars the best stars of the year are always the winter stars and they were rising in the east and of course i was able to point them all out using my laser you know i went on deck about I think it was officially 10 o'clock we started. I didn't get off the deck till half past 12 on two or three occasions. It really was spectacular. And when you get a dark sky, no matter where you are, on the beach in the Isle of Man or at one of our dark sky sites or the middle of the ocean, and you see the stars, you just get this wow factor. And people say, wow, where are they all come from? And I can't stress enough, it's because you get your eyes used to the dark. When you get your eyes used to the dark, they come at you in three dimensions almost, and you really get some spectacular views, and it was really a, a great view. And it changes subtly. It changes all the time if you stand there. Oh, yeah. And and watch it. And this is, I think, what is the, the spellbinding, magical, mm-hmm. mesmeric effect of it almost, that if you've got the time and you can just stand there, you don't want to, to come away because it is so beautiful. It does. It does. We have other things happening. We have shooting stars occurring. We have satellites going over. But you're quite right. The stars change. People don't realise it because the Earth spins on its axis in 24 hours. It also goes around the sun. So what happens? The stars rise four minutes earlier every evening. And you can see this rotation for yourself. If if you stay outside for more than half an hour, you'll notice subtly the stars have changed position. And here's a little experiment you can do at home on a nice uh, dark night now in January. As we're getting to the early January. Go outside, line up a star with a chimney pot or a tree or behind two objects. Come out the next night four minutes earlier and it'll be exactly the same spot. And that's the mechanics of the solar system at play for you to see with your own naked eye. And this, by far, is the best time of the year to do it. Even though, and I'm sorry to have to mention this, the, the nights are getting just a little bit shorter no, now. No, how depressing. <laughs> <laughs> but for those of us who are looking forward to the, uh, yeah, the summer nights, maybe, maybe it's, it's nice not to so have bad. A nice but we're so lucky, I can't stress enough how lucky, the, the winter sky, the A-list of the stars in the sky all appear at this time of the year. The other night, I was just going to bed and I noticed the sky had cleared. It had been cloudy, it had been raining, and the sky cleared. And, you know, I went outside in my dressing gown and just stood there for five minutes, And even though I hadn't got used to the dark properly. But I, I never 
lose this sense of wonder when you look at them. And I'm lucky I can identify most of them, but you don't have to. Just enjoy it. And two of the most beautiful sights have got to be moon on the sea. Oh, yes. And moon through the, the branches of a tree. Yes. Just the road to Valhalla. Really? One of the, the, the myths of the moon on the sea is the road to Valhalla. It's a Viking legend, which, of course, is very appropriate for the Isle of Man. And that's the other thing, that with all this to do with astronomy, there's just the most wonderful legends all oh, woven in. Yeah. And, and still more legends to be discovered. You said Absolutely. you've been doing some reading and discovered. That's right. I found a legend. We won't go into it tonight because I found a legend of, of Gemini, the twins, which I never knew until I was literally just sat here um, getting ready for this programme. And I read something about Gemini, but I never knew that. So the myths and the legends of all the and the folklore of these constellations. And what is uncanny, I've mentioned this before, what is uncanny is that most civilizations throughout the world have the same folklore. They all see the bear as a bear. They all see Orion as a hunter. And yet they were... The, the Native Americans in, in the United States, or the, America, um, the Aborigines in, in, in um, Australia, uh, the Chinese, the Middle East, they all tend to have very similar stories. Not always, but there's a lot of similarities, and it's, it's uncanny how they all see these shapes as the same. Coming back to home now, Howard, given the right weather, what should we be looking well, for now? Well, there's two things I'd ask people to do. I mean, you, we've already tried our experiment about checking how the stars rise every day. That's one thing you can do. But just look towards the south. Look towards the southern horizon any time now, between now right through to the end of January into February. And you cannot fail to see the majestic constellations of winter. In particular, the constellation Orion, with his three distinctive stars in a line shape, going from top right to bottom left. And they really stand out like a, a signpost in the sky. And there's a wonderful feature called the winter hexagon, which takes in six bright stars in this area of the sky. And But there are far more bright stars in this area of the sky, which you can't fail to see. And Orion really stands out for us. Those three in a line are his belt. As I say, we talk about the folklore. Every civilization sees Orion as a hunter. That's his belt, and he's got his club over his his head and he's facing the bull Taurus which is one of the other winter constellations with a distinctive V shape in the sky with a lovely little cluster of stars almost overhead called the Pleiades and then the other side of that we've got the twins of Gemini and then the brightest star in the sky follow Orion's belt down to the brightest star in the sky Sirius and that's literally all within sort of the southern horizon in, in a very short space of, of, um, of the sky to look at but then turn around and look north, and you'll think, what's happened to the plough? Where's it gone? It's standing on its tail. This idea that the Earth rotates on its axis but also goes around the sun means that the stars change their uh, configuration with relation to the pole star. So the plough, which was in autumn, we were talking about it in September, October, sitting on the northern horizon, it's still there, but now it's standing up on its tail. And that's the other feature. And the Plough and Orion are the best two constellations in the sky to use as signposts to find other objects. So you can see them very, very clearly for yourself. Just go outside on a nice, crisp, cold night, wrap it warm, lots of layers of clothes, big, thick socks in your boots. Spend at least half an hour out there sitting on a deck chair or whatever you want to do. But you'll be amazed what you can see. And you're probably going to see some meteors as well. We did, when I was on the deck of the ship, I was just saying a minute ago, it was just before the Leonid, it's not the Leonid, sorry, the Geminid shower peaked. And, you know, while we were standing there, it was about four or five meteors seen. And the passengers were absolutely amazed because some saw it, some didn't. And, of course, those that did said, oh, we missed it. We'll look for the next one. And it's just got a buzz out of it. It's great. 
Actually, you anticipated my next question. I was wondering if there were going to be any meteor showers in amongst all of this. We've got two, actually. We've got two at this time of the year. Now, the Ursid meteor shower peaks just before Christmas, so we've had that one now, but the Ursids from the name uh, derives from the constellation of Ursa Major. But not far from the Ursids, we have another shower which peaks on the 3rd of January called the Quadrantids. And the Quadrantids is another shower. Um, they tend to get forgotten about because it's around the Christmas time. So you may get some late Ursids or some early um, Quadrantids tonight or indeed over the next few nights. But just look, for the, look at the northern horizon, look at the stars of the northern sky and you may well see out the corner of your eye you might see a couple of meteors which will almost certainly be Quadrantids or late Ursids. Howard, there's only one direction we haven't looked in and that's to the west. I'm glad you mentioned that because dominating our western sky at the moment, I defy anybody not to be able to see it, even in a light sky, is the planet Venus. It really is spectacular. It's as almost as bright as it ever gets and it really is spectacularly bright. It's like a beacon. People think it's an aeroplane or something else, you know, flying saucers, all sorts of things people think Venus is. When Venus gets further and further away from the sun, of course, it's rising into a darker sky. And that's what Venus is doing now, and it will be doing so for another month or so yet. So in the western sky, that very bright object you see, not long after sunset you'll see it, and it slowly will go down to the western horizon. That's the planet Venus. It's in the midst of the autumnal constellations of Pegasus and Andromeda, and you've only got to look to the western sky. Forget Venus for a second, and you look in the western sky, there are no bright stars, except Venus, of course, which is a planet. And then turn back to the south, and you see this wonderful profusion of bright stars in the, in the south. That's when you begin to realise how spectacular our winter sky is. Still to come is Space News and we'll be going back to Mars again. But right now it's your music choice and it's the only thing we can have in the month of December, isn't it, Howard? It certainly is. Christopher and a spaceman came travelling. Spaceman came travelling on his ship from afar T'was light years of time since his mission did start Over a village he halted his crew Hung in the sky like a star Just like a star He followed a light and came down to a shed Where a mother and child were lying there on a bed A bright light of silver shone round his head And he had the face of
Christerberg and a spaceman came travelling. This is the December edition of the Manx Sky at Night and as always it's my pleasure to have in the studio Howard Parkin. Howard, something that I've been thinking about over these last few weeks watching this um, this dreadful tragedy of the eruption of the volcano in New Zealand mm. and then these awful fires that we've been seeing in various parts of the world. Will those, any of those ultimately have any effect on, on the sky? What's, what's going on in, in, right up in space? Yes, indeed they can. I mean, one of the theories that the dinosaurs were wiped out was by a meteoric impact, which is much more serious than what we're seeing now, um, that the sky was completely uh, obliterated by this impact event uh, 65 million years ago. And the idea of a nuclear winter, which is the name we give to it, causing by the Earth's sunlight being blocked off, blocks photosynthesis and all the rest. But to go back to your question, um, it's a known fact that the eruption of volcanoes does affect the visibility of the night sky. Now, I don't think it's going to have a major effect on on us in the Northern Hemisphere. If these volcanoes have been erupted in Iceland, for instance, that may well have had an effect. Uh, And there have been evidence of this eruptions in Iceland causing this before. Um, But this is in the the far south and obviously New Zealand. But we've actually got a lunar eclipse taking place on the 10th of January. But it's only what we call a penumbral eclipse. This means the moon is passing through the partial shadow of the Earth. And the full moon, you always get eclipses at the time of the full moon. You'll never get an eclipse at any other time. But this full moon eclipse, the bottom edge of the moon may look slightly discoloured. It may go slightly reddish in tinge. And one of the challenges for astronomers is when we get a penumbral eclipse... The alternative is an umbral eclipse when we go right through the the, the, the moon goes right through the Earth's shadow and it does darken considerably. Uh, but a penumbral eclipse will just fade slightly. And obviously, depending on how much atmospheric pollution there is, not just from smoke, um, but from volcanic eruptions or even man-made pollution from uh, other um, horrible sources, uh, that can affect the visibility of the sky. So there'll be a lot of people on the 10th of January looking at the moon and seeing how much it is. you can discern a difference in the normal brightness of it and that'll be something that's indicative of uh, how much atmospheric um, pollution there is at the moment uh, around the Earth. But we think we're so powerful and we think we can do so much, but then one volcanic eruption just makes you realise, I mean, earthquakes and volcanoes are just such dramatic events that are uh, 
uh, they make our efforts seem puny by comparison. Not that we shouldn't take care of the Earth. And I often say to people that environmental consciousness grew when we saw the Earth from space way back in 1968 from Apollo 8 all those years ago. And it, it's right that we do look after the planet, but nature is so powerful and we are so insignificant by comparison of what the power and the forces of nature. And if nothing else, it, if it makes us feel humble and mm. inadequate, this unstoppable power of nature, oh, then that's, that's something we need to realise. That It's an eye-opener. It is. And, and nothing to do with this at all, but something else that I've come across in re- relatively recent years is we, we all know about the Torrey Canyon disaster, how the oil was going to completely kill the beaches of Cornwall for years and years, and the same with the Exxon Valdez up in, in Alaska all those years ago. And yet, you know, nature, I won't say 100% returned it back to a pristine natural condition, but the, the environmental impacts were much less than were feared because nature is just that more powerful than we can even begin to understand sometimes. Our bodies are designed to try to heal themselves mm. and, and nature does the same kind of thing, yeah, doesn't it? It does indeed. The Gaia hypothesis that the Earth is a living thing, the whole Earth is a living organism almost, the Gaia hypothesis worth looking into and tells you all about the, the idea that the Earth it does heal itself and indeed is a has a, a cycle of, of repair and um, everything else. Which maybe means that we should respect it even more Absolutely than right. we do. Let's go back into space again. Let's go to Mars. Now, well, we, we talked about this last month. What's happening well, there? Well, this is fascinating. And if, if we accept that the Earth is a living... The organism's the wrong word, but we accept the Earth is a, an evolving planet, should we say, that's probably a better word. Well, Mars is showing some indication of doing things unexpected. We talked about methane being erupted from the Martian surface. Very, very minute amounts of methane, but methane is produced by biological processes. 99% of the time it's caused by biological activity, rotting vegetation or from cows or whatever. Now, we're not saying for one minute there's any cows on Mars. Um, I'm sure there's some jokes about that, but I won't even think about it. But what's happened now, not only the methane eruptions have been detected, but now they're discovering oxygen. Now, we know there is a cycle due to the perchlorides and the, uh, the peroxides in the rocks of Mars that this oxygen is erupted on a seasonal basis. The amount of oxygen in the atmosphere of Mars changes on a seasonal basis. But they're seeing more oxygen in the spring and the early summer of Mars than they expected. And this is showing a correlation to the methane. And there are lots of scientists beginning to believe that it almost certainly indicates that there must have been life on Mars in the long-distant past, and that stuff is still decomposing deep in the Martian rocks and is coming to the surface and is being detected by the Curiosity rover and indeed the other spacecraft in orbit around Mars. And all the indications are that it's only a matter of time before we discover ancient life did once exist on Mars. What will that say for a looking into the origins of the world, the universe and everything else. Last year, NASA had a, a broadcast scheduled and everyone speculated it was going to be they've discovered, found fossils on Mars. But they pulled it at the last minute and uh, we were all wondering why. So now, of course, this year, uh, sorry, next year, 2020, we're not quite into 2020 yet. 2020 sees about three or four different spacecraft going to Mars, including a new rover, similar to the Curiosity rover, but this one even more so is looking for life. We've also got a European rover and a Chinese rover. Everyone's going to Mars at the moment. So there'll be no one left here in the end of it. We're all going to Mars looking for, for life. And um, 
I, I would not mind betting that we'll be talking about that in about 18 months, two years' time. There's a prediction for you. It wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. Well, you're pretty good on your predictions, Howard. <laughs> you, you've, you haven't let us down so far. So a very good chance there. But it will be fascinating the mm. more bits of the jigsaw that come back this is it. from the rovers. We can actually drive a rover on Mars and sniff out the, literally sniff out the, the, um, the gases coming from the Martian surface and look for rocks and everything else. It's, it's incredible. And uh, I look forward to talking about it in more detail in well, future programmes. Well, I, I think it's going to be absolutely fascinating to see what else they discover and how they interpret mm. that, what they've discovered, how they interpret it, and what it's going to tell us. A great story unfolding there on indeed, Mars. Indeed it is. And uh, finally, just before Christmas, just, well, in fact, on the 20th, nine days ago was the scheduled launch of the Boeing Starliner, Howard. Let's look back on that. The two commercial companies in the United States, Boeing and SpaceX, are both striving to be the first one to send a spacecraft up to the International Space Station with passengers on board. SpaceX are still well ahead of Boeing. Uh, And you may recall in, I think it was March of this year, um, SpaceX orbited their Dragon spacecraft up to the International Space Station. We saw all these wonderful pictures of them opening the door and looking and there was a mannequin in there and they had um, an inflatable uh, globe of the Earth, and it really looks as if the astronauts had just literally walked out and gone into the space station. That was SpaceX last May. Now, of course, we've got the Boeing Starliner, which launched, as you say, uh, Saturday, week last Saturday. Well, it did indeed launch on December the 20th, didn't it? But it was back on Earth just two days later. Boeing's new Starliner unmanned spacecraft landed in the New Mexico desert six days early after a clock problem prevented the planned rendezvous with the International Space Station. And we saw those images, didn't we, broadcast by NASA showing the spacecraft touching down safely in the dark after a descent that had been slowed by three huge parachutes. The Starliner capsule, as you were saying, launched on Friday the 20th from Cape Canaveral in Florida, but shortly after separating from its Atlas launch rocket, its thrusters failed to activate as planned, preventing it from reaching an orbit high enough to meet up with the International Space Station. The flight was carrying only a dummy and was meant to be a final dress rehearsal before a crewed flight. But after calculating that the craft had burnt too much propellant for several minutes, Boeing and NASA were forced to guide the Starliner back to Earth without fulfilling its planned mission. What this means for the overall Boeing commercial crew mission and whether it'll impact the timing and the sequence of the crewed flight test that was supposed to take place next, all the parties say that it's too early to tell. But now that the Starliner is safely back, I expect they'll need to do more investigation into what happened before deciding whether there is a need for another full flight test before putting crew on that first test launch. So, something we'll be talking about a lot more on the January programme, I would think, Howard. Yes, uh, a great shame that was going to set up Boeing to be on an equal footing with SpaceX, who have launched their Dragon about nine months ago. And NASA, in particular, are very keen to make sure that these commercial companies are absolutely 100% committed to this uh, as regards astronaut safety. But obviously, they've got to make sure everything's right. So, the slightest thing that's that's wrong, they'll pull the launch, they'll pull the, the process and go back to the drawing board and work out what it is and do it later. We've been waiting about three or four years now for this to take place, so a little little more delay won't matter. If I'm a betting man, there'll be a launch, certainly in the not-too-distant future, by SpaceX, if not Boeing. And this idea that they've got to launch an unmanned rocket, which is what 
was the attempt. They've got to launch it unmanned, 100% successful, dock with the ISS, take the cargo out. Obviously, they're not going to waste the launch. They're going to take the cargo up in the in the vehicle at the same time and then bring it back to Earth and land it as if there were astronauts on board. And only then will they give them the green light to send men on these spacecraft. We look forward to that and lots more exciting things happening in 2020. Howard, it has been an absolute pleasure to be in the studio through the year and I look forward to a lot more of the same in the year ahead. Howard, we, we wish you a very happy new year and I suppose what you really want in the year ahead is loads of clear skies. Absolutely right, but I won't hold you to that, Judith. But when we do get clear skies, get out there and uh, I hope you enjoy it. And thank you very much indeed and best wishes to all our listeners and uh, have a great new year. Faster my Howard Parkin. Faster my.